0: As the children are making their way, we're dismissing them to Children's Church. You see the um, the graphic kind of out- outlines there. We are excited. I don't know if you're aware of all of the, the, the moving pieces that makes up Crossroads. I know that oftentimes we become keenly aware of what we're a part of, but we oftentimes miss completely the other pieces or the other steps that are, that are part of the church, like um, Children's Church or the Wednesday night stuff. We've got a fistful of volunteers that have been platooning in the absence of... Um, Brandon and Kylie, who, by the way, if you're if you're praying for them and considering them in, in their prayer, in your prayer life concerning all that's happening with them, this marks the the big, big transition for them to be to language school in the next couple of days. So you need to keep them in your prayers. As as Kylie will be working there and Brandon will be serving in other capacities. Um, certainly, I, I know that there'll be some things that he'll learn in the language, but he's so so very fluent already. But uh, we have had a number of volunteers step up. And because of that, you know, there's some, some neat things that are happening. Um, for instance, this evening, although there'll be no worship here tonight because of the holiday weekend, uh, the youth are still going to gather and there's going to be some things happening. So if you've you got a teenager, a middle schooler, a high schooler, and you need to know more than the announcements at the end, we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but we are grateful for all the moving pieces because there's just so much happening for a place to plug in. And you don't know where you fit in, you know, my advice to you is try something out. You know, I always tell, I tell this to students all the time. Um, and, and I know that this is going to sound kind um, of some, some question the way this sounds. I'll put it that way. Um, I think college is wonderful. I enjoyed college, but college isn't for everybody. You know, I tell people if you want to go do a job, figure out what you want to go do, and then go get trained to do it. And if college is right for you, man, I champion that. Run, do that. Uh, but it's the same thing in church. If you don't, if you don't know what you want to do, you know how you can figure out as a high school student what you want to do for the rest of your life? You know how you can figure out in church if what you want to do and where you want to serve? Try doing a fistful of things. Try volunteering. Try working in certain capacities. Go get a job. You'll find out real quick what you don't want to do. Amen? You know, I didn't know that, that you know, culinary arts was not going to be my career until I went in and worked in some restaurants. And then I knew, hey, while well, I like to eat and I like to cook, I do not want to do it for a living. Um, you know, wash some dishes for a couple of weeks and f- see how you feel about that. You'll find out, you'll say, there's got to be something else in the world I can go do from income. And you'll go figure out something else and then go get trained to do it. Well, that being said, we, we are grateful for all of our volunteers, even our worship team. You know, you see them come in, a lot of moving pieces. They're giving up extra time to be here. We are grateful for every single moving piece that's happening here. Uh, that being said, you know, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. We've been talking about uh Jesus is king over all these different aspects of the, of the creation and time and, and every single little piece. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about our personal possessions. And we're going to look at a passage in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn with me to chapter 4, the book of Acts, we're going to look at verses 32 through 35. I'll lean in and I'll, I'll point at some things that are happening in chapter 5 after that. But when you get to chapter 4, verse number 32, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 4, verse number 32 says this. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any one had need. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to Scripture, we could be challenged. We could be challenged to, to see you as king over every single thing, including the things that we own. I pray, Lord, that we would see our whole life as your life. That we belong to you and that everything in our, in our care is stuff that you've given us care over. And I pray that we would be right and righteous with our things. Lord, that you would be honored with all that is in our possession. Lord, that it would be ultimately yours and we would use it to serve you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, before we get, you know, too deep into this conversation, I want to highlight something that I believe is an important thing to set the tone for everything we're going to talk about here, and that is when we look at everything that we possess, all the things that belong to us, and we understand that we become followers of Jesus, that we belong to Jesus, then that means that he possesses all of these things. Now, this is not a picture of socialism or communism. This is actually something quite different. This is understanding that the king and the monarchy, that we belong to him, that, that it becomes something quite, quite powerful in the shared belief and conviction. So, And before I, I you know, dissect that any further, I want you to consider with me what has transpired, what has occurred in the passage. We get to this part of the book of Acts and we realize a couple of key things you need to know if you don't know them already. Number one, Jesus has come. He has lived a flawless life. He has been brutally killed, crucified. He was buried because he was dead, and he was raised from the dead, resurrected to new life, and as a result, he has come, and he has, he, has, he has leaned into the life of these who follow him. And then he ascended to heaven, and there's this picture, and it has transformed the world. And those who are now engaged in a, in a situation where they are looking to Jesus as their Messiah, as their King, they see Him, and they understand the power that He possesses, and they have given their life to following Him. And because of that, what you read in chapter 4 is what happens as a result. Now, when you come to any passage of Scripture, you have to decide when you study it, and you might need a little, a little, you know, study or a little more contextual understanding to see whether or not a passage is a prescription, meaning something that we should practice, or if it's a description, meaning that it's something that did happen, but it's just telling us what did happen, and you have to decide. Is this something I should do, or is this just, some, just a description of what has occurred? And I would suggest that this is both a description and leans into prescription for our lives. It gives us both. We see altered. We get to verse 32. It says, now the multitude of those who believed. Everyone say believed. That means that they not only saw what was occurring in the world around them, they embraced what was going on with Jesus, that they believed it. They saw his life. They saw his miracles. They saw people who saw those things. You know, one of the key things that a lot of people don't know about the New Testament is that in order for a passage to be considered Scripture, in order for a book to be included in the Bible, it has to be written by somebody who knew Jesus Or knew somebody who knew Jesus. So it can only be one step away. You either know Jesus or you know somebody that knew Jesus. Otherwise, your writing is not considered for inclusion in the New Testament Scriptures. This picture of the book of Acts is is written by Luke. And Luke is a guy who was a direct disciple of the Apostle Paul. And you see this, this wonderful description of the early church. These individuals, they knew who Jesus was. They they understood what he stood for. They understood what he taught. They they became completely enamored with him because of what he offered them, because of what he did for them, and because of what that meant for them as a group. And it changed everything about them. And it ought to change us. You know, one of the really interesting pieces is, is that you know, you, you start to ask if a group of people can be sustained and can work as a, as a unit, if we could gather under one umbrella for the same purpose. But that's exactly what church is supposed to be, a group of people that are gathering with shared belief, shared conviction, shared life. And in doing so, when we gather, we look countercultural to the world around us. The world around us does not look, does not look upon us and say to, a, to themselves, well, that's just another club. You know, it's really interesting when you dissect and you look at organizations. There are lots of great organizations, by the way, in the world. Lots of them. Really cool and neat, intricate things you could be a part of. You could have hobby clubs or all kinds of of, of humanitarian clubs that exist in the world. But I suggest to you the church is something else. It is something that binds us that is deeper, that is richer, that is more meaningful, that is more powerful. And as a result, it crosses all manner of distinctions and brings people from all all manner of corners of our community and the world together. It's really interesting that when you consider, you know, which groups you would invest in or be a part of that, you know, even as is as is well you know documented in the in the course of certain certain corporation and advancement in corporations that guys like Ray Crockett, when he decided that he was going to make his attempt to to franchise the McDonald's brand across the land, he went into social clubs, family-based social clubs to try to gather up support for people that would run the the restaurants and do so in a reputable way. And it's interesting how he tried a number of different groups before he landed on a, a set of groups that he liked. And what I I warn you about is that this cannot be that, that we can't just be one of another set of groups that people wander into and they look at us and they say, oh, I like that group better than these other groups. No, they have to see this as unique or different, something completely countercultural, something completely opposite. And, And the reason that is is because you can gather for all manner of social reasons, and I'm not discouraging you from doing that. What I'm saying is that when it comes to this, we are bound to something that's deeper, that's richer. And you say, well, what is that? That is a place where we come and we share our lives with each other because we find acceptance in Jesus that we can't find anywhere else. We find forgiveness, which no other group can offer you. We find redemption and resurrection in these stories, and as a result, it changes us. And when we come here and we gather and we sing about it, And the the very foundation of our lives is fortified by the shared conviction of the songs we sing. Be thou my vision. You know, I don't know about you, but if you rose this morning and your vision was anything but the Lord's, come here and have it changed this morning that the Lord's vision would be your vision. We look at the passages here as they unfold. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart. Everyone say one heart. And one soul, say one soul. Now, this is interesting. In the early formation of the church, there's this picture of unity. You know, when you see the Lord's Supper, as we as we as we celebrated it last week, and we have the opportunity to do in remembrance the thing of Jesus' death and resurrection, we understand his sacrifice. It is said that in the early church they sang when they broke that bread, when they, when they drank that cup, that they sang upon their departure. And in many churches, the song that is sung still to this day is, blessed be the tie that binds. You see, there are people in church life that I never would have ever met, that I never would have ever known if I hadn't come to Jesus and hadn't crossed paths with people and seen other lives. I would have never wandered into their lives. They would have never wandered into mine. But I'm grateful that because of my king that I live under one banner where I get to know people I get to know people of all walks of life, of all classes of, of, of income and of, of and stages in their, their health and well-being. I get to see them as young families and senior adults, and I get to know all these different people. We don't gather because of age. We don't gather because of race. We don't gather because of, of wealth. We don't gather because of those reasons. We gather because of Jesus. As a result, you get to come here and you get to see all kinds of people. That you would have otherwise been completely, completely told by your culture to avoid. And it talks about that right here, that this this group has been so impacted by Jesus that they are like-minded. It goes on in the same verse to say, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And they begin to see this picture of what belonged to them as belonging now to their Redeemer. And it's transformative. You know, I don't know about you, but there's a pretty good sensation when you want something and you don't have enough resource to go out and get it that you go and you work and you save and then you can go and acquire it. That's a pretty good feeling, right? It's a great sensation, right? Right? There's a sensation of what what is the backbone of American society where we work hard for our things and we go out and we get those things and we we buy them and we, we either pay them off or we save to get them and we have them and once we have them, we learn to take care of them because if you don't take care of them, then what happens? You've wasted them. There's a matter of understanding that when you become a believer in Jesus, that those things that you're working for you're not working for to honor him with those things. There is a measure and discipline to take care of your things in such a way that you say, I don't want to waste or squander these things because they belong to him. And if he has given me stewardship over these things, then I need to do my best to take care of these things. So next time when you mow your grass or paint your house or next time you do that little repair job in your in your you know, whichever kitchen, bathroom, living room, or whatever, you hang that shelf or you change that light bulb, you think, I wouldn't want the Lord's light to be out. I wouldn't want His grass to be too long. I wouldn't want His things to look bad because they belong to Him. Man, it'll change your mind, won't it? And then when you're, you're, you're trying to get your kids to go along and do these things with your stuff, and they're, they're grumping at you because, man, they sure don't want to be out in the hot, and it's still hot outside, Amen. I told you it's August though, right? Expect hot until after August and then expect some until, you know, later. It's coming down. Trust me, the days are getting shorter. That means cooler. It's going to be fine. But we have to teach our children, don't we? These things belong to God. We take care of these things. You know, there's a, a campaign that I've been on ever since I've been here, and that is to, to be a good steward over everything we have here at this church and you know, we have utilized things and we have done things. We have made a, a concerted effort to make sure that we are stewards of what's here. And because I had this weird itch that lives in me that it's like, you know, don't get a maintenance job somewhere and have responsibility over light bulbs and then not see every burned out light bulb ever. It, it'll mess your head up when you start caring about stuff like this. It will mess your head Up, You will not be able to function. You'll be like, that light bulb's out. i got to figure out a way to get that light bulb changed. Well, there's this picture of the way that they began to see their stuff. They didn't think of these things that they possessed was their own, but they had all this stuff in common. Point number one is having faith redefines our understanding of our things. You know, you start to say to yourself, well, this doesn't belong to the Lord. And I'd say, all right, let's go back and let's discuss the Lord and what he owns. Somebody would say, well, I worked for that and I went to my job and I did all the things and I was like, it'd be awful hard for you to get up and go to your job if you didn't have air to breathe. The last time I, I studied this, you didn't make the air. So your ability to work is predicated upon the fact that you first exist and second upon the fact that you're fueled by the lungs which were given to you by someone else. And I like what Vody Bauckham says. He says, you're stealing God's there all the time because you take it, you breathe it, you use it up, and you don't give it back. And when you take something and you don't give it back, that's stealing. So probably ought to confess that sin, right? But the reality is, is that when I begin to realize that I was a created being by God and that everything is predicated upon the fact that he has fueled me with all the things that belong to him, let's be good stewards of these things, and let's see these things as his things. It'll change the way that we behave. Because our king, not only did he see fit to create us and give us this air, he allowed us the latitude by which to wander from him and then come back to him. And when we come back to him and he redeems us, our gratitude ought to be simply that we belong now. And always to you. I, I think that one of the things that plagues the earth, I mean, the, the way that the church has recently been delivering the gospel is, is that the gospel is for the lost, and, but the gospel is for the redeemed as well. The good news is that we have a king that governs all these things, and we could submit to him and not worry so much about what we're going to do with all the things. We will just say, God, what would you have us do with your stuff? Verse 33 the result that comes next is something I hope you see it. There's no, there's no ines- I mean, inescapable measure of seeing what happens in verse number 33 because it almost feels like it doesn't fit unless you read it in the context. It says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them all. And you're like, okay, they were talking about all their stuff, how they all had one mind, and all of a sudden the apostles have this ability to, to have this bold proclamation in the midst of this, and then it goes right back to talking about stuff. And you say, well, how is that possible, brother, Ben?" that that passage fits in there? And I'll tell you, this is why. When we don't have to worry about all the things, what we can do is we can declare his glory in a powerful way. And when you stop worrying so much about all the things... And you start keeping the main thing the main thing you will be not unlike the apostles and they you will declare his glory powerfully. I mean look at it and with great power the apostles gave witness. Point number 2 is bold proclamation as a result in selflessness. When we begin to live our lives in such a way that we see everything as God's things man you you will be tr- transformed You'll be like, right now we have much, praise God. And when you're like, when we don't have a lot, you're like, well, praise God, we don't have to manage a lot. Because with the more you have, the more you have to manage. And there's all these pictures. And all this is supposed to reduce your concern about all your stuff so that you can just shine all your, all your praise on Jesus and just point at his powerful resurrection. And that's exactly what the apostles are free to do because people are stopping to worry about their their. Their personal stuff, and it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how this thing it eludes us. You know, one of the key reasons why, in the course of my life, I've seen a transformation from the time when it was like we had a dedicated night of the week where. People would gather at the church with the intention of going out to visit people, and I realized the world has changed and transformed, and pandemics and lockdowns kind of preclude people from wanting people just to show up on their door. And we kind of went through some different phases, but I can remember a time when people used to be dedicated to this this practice. And you'd say to yourself, well, why don't we do that anymore, Brother Ben? And I'll tell you, we have overprogrammed ourselves to the point where it's hard to get people to have a unified night where they can do any one thing. We have programmed ourselves sideways, silly, upside down. We are programmed to death. We are programmed with all of the things, with all of the practices and all of the meetings and all of the clubs and all the organizations and all the things. And I can remember a time, and, and I say this to you in, in earnestness, that what I'm about to say is the indictment isn't on the world for cutting in on the church's time. The indictment is on the, wor- is on the church for not being relevant in the world what will happen is, is that you'll say, man, you never, they never used to program stuff on Wednesday night. They never used to do things on Sunday night. They never used to, to do it. Now you see them, they're doing all these other things. And I'd say, you know why they felt like they could do that? Because we were already being apathetic towards our church gatherings and meetings. And they just were like, it's just another night of the week. You know, you know what would change that dynamic? If on Wednesday night you were like, my kid's not coming to practice, we're going to church. And if every family said that, man, coach would not put practices on Wednesday night. And I'm not here, I'm not against sports. I was at football on Friday night. I was at football on Saturday. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying to you is is that when we became irrelevant, it didn't matter anymore. And now we want to complain about it. And what I want to say to you is think of of your possession as God's, and you start thinking of all the things that belong to God. We've already talked about that creation is his. We've talked about time is his. But when you think about time as a possession that you have, you know, time is something I tell people, you can't be bankrupt in time or trust. If you're bankrupt in these things, you'll have a hard time in life. If you're out of time and you're out of trust, well, it doesn't matter what you do because you won't have any time to do it and you won't have anyone that'll go with you with your possessions, that people can trust you, you begin to see this. Bold proclamation is the direct result of not having to concern yourself with all of the things. It goes on to say in the same verse, it says, And great grace was upon them all. Now, I don't know about you, but you want to know one of the things that, that plagues us with all the different things is that we don't have enough grace. We, we lack this grace piece that, that is oftentimes offered, and as a result, we have very little peace in our life, because if grace is missing, then peace will certainly not be present because in order to find peace in life, you have to have more grace, not more control. I say this all the time when I preach. If you want more peace in your life, if you feel like your life is chaotic, if you feel like your world is spinning out of control, if you feel like that your programs are running you and you're not running them, ask God for more grace. Grace in the moment. When you lack something in life, don't look to God and ask him for the thing. Ask him for grace. And everything else will begin to fall in place. It says that this great grace was upon them. But it wasn't just on some of them. The passage says all of them. Wouldn't it be something if when we came together that our grace, that 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 all would include you and me, us and the things that are out of control. Verse 34 says, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. You see this clear moment where you're like, this is an interesting passage because some would make this a prescription of what we should do today. Some would say it's just a description. And I would suggest to you, yes, it's a description of what happened. But it's a prescription of what happens if God so inclines us, leads us to do something like this, then we should say yes to our king. This is not Brother Ben saying that you should go out and sell all of your stuff and bring it. What I'm saying is listen to your king and if your king asks that of you, say yes to your king. The warning that comes in chapter 5 is that there's a, there's a husband and wife that are not honest about what they have, and they, they sell their property, and they lie to, to not just to the apostles, but to God about it. And as a result, their life is forfeit. The, the picture is one of deep concern and strong warning to us that we need to be honest with our king, and if he asks us for something, we need to say yes if he asks you for your time, say yes. If he asks you for your possessions, say yes, because he's king over your stuff. And when you stop holding on to it, you see this is the problem: is is that when we hold on to the things that we belong, that belong to us, that we think that we earned and we deserve, that we have no hands by which to hold on to God with, and He would have us let go of our things so that we might cling to Him and let Him take care of all of the rest of it. And that's the beauty of the gospel for those of us that already know him, is that he's king over these things in such a way that if we will hold on to him, then we don't have to hold on to the things, then we'll be a lot happier and that grace that was in the church will be in us. And then it will be transformative to the world around us. They will see us differently. They will know that it is different. The the lack of the people, and you look at, at point number three, the deciding to share, it blesses others. And, you know, that's point number three. I hope that you understand that deciding to share in the midst of people is a blessing to you and it blesses other people. The, the picture here is powerful. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the th- of the things that were sold. And you see this picture of this, this group of people who are in the early church that are are joining a community of believers. And as a result, I would imagine that if I know anything to be true of the cultures that they lived in, they were being They were being shunned in some ways from their homes and other things. They had to build a new community. And this description of what happens is transformative. You say, the church will exist because the people will be obedient to their king. And when they're obedient to their king, they can establish a community in the midst of a community. And they can have these opportunities to be obedient to their king and sell their things, and no one has lack. And you're like, wow. Wow. The next part will sting you, though, if you've been waiting for the part where you're like, okay, Brother Ben, you've been meddling. Well, just wait. I'm going to meddle just a little deeper. Verse 5, after they sold their things, it says they laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. This is two-faceted, this piece here. And it's really important that you hear me clearly on what I'm about to say so that you don't walk out of here and say, I'm not going back to that church because they expect me to sell all my stuff. I want you to say yes to your king about your stuff, okay? But the next part is important. You will never know about your neighbor's need, and we will never figure out how to love our neighbor as ourself, which is our primary strategy, until you live life to life, face to face with some of your neighbors in such a way that you will know their needs. And I'm not talking about their wants. I mean, we all have wants, I mean, I, I was talking about it this morning in the lobby. Man, you know, I pointed out to my wife, I said, man, there's this really cool fireplace that would go real nice into this wall right here, electric. And I was like, and she's like, well, how much is it? And I said, well, let's not talk about that. And when I told her, she's like, you're outside your mind. And she's right, I'm outside my mind. That's a want of Brother Ben's. Do not buy me a fireplace. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there's a difference between wants and needs, but when you live life to life with other people and you hear of a, a need that they have, a real genuine need, then the church, we become this, this community of people that are like, well, now what am I going to do about this that I have this knowledge of this need? Maybe it's outside of your ability to help with this need. It's easy to give when you've got the excess, right? And you're like, well, I got an extra one of those laying around, come get it. Better yet, I'll bring it to you, right? I've seen that many times in church life. But when it's a little outside of your reach, it's a little different story, and you're like, okay, so what now? Well, maybe we need to live life on life with some other people and say, you know, so-and-so has this need, and I can't meet it myself, but I'm willing to help. What can we do? How can we grow to this place where we begin to see these things? Because, you know, when we start considering all the projects that we do here and all the things that we accomplish here, you know, there are any number of us that God could be leaning in on us and saying, you have this because I've given it to you listen to where I want you to use it, right? I think to myself oftentimes that the things that I have and I wrongly say mine. I'll never forget the moment that I realized that God wanted me to get back into school and to finish my education. It was a clear moment for me that I was in, I was in a, a desperate spot because I'm praying about it, I'm thinking about it, and I'm talking to God about it, and I realized that I was using the wrong language, because my prayer was like, Lord, I just don't know how I could go back to school who will take care of my students. And it was as though the Holy Spirit just, just landed right on my throat to choke me smooth out. Okay, and you're like, that's, that's very graphic language, Brother Ben. But I mean, I'm telling you, it got real serious for just a moment because the echoing sensation of discernment in, was me, in me was whoever said they were yours. And I began to say, I just began to back up from the moment and say, yes, Lord whatever you want, if, you think, if you're telling me that I need to go on and do this with my life and my time and my, and my resource, then I'll go do it. Because none of this belongs to me. And so when I have King Jesus as my, as my redeemer and he asks for anything, yes, my Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me give? What would you have me be? What would you have me try that makes me uncomfortable what would you have me attempt in your namesake who would you have me knock on the door of and visit how would you have me spend these next few minutes and when you start looking at your things as his things man it'll look different that task that needs done around the house or that thing that honeydew list you know i'll tell you that me and my wife we have this kind of running dialogue, and she will tell you that she asks me about something one time, and, and no matter how long it takes me to get to it, she doesn't have to remind me because it's my responsibility to remember. And if I forget, this embarrassment on me. Because in our house, she respect, respects enough that if she asks me that I will hear her, and we don't get into these weird dialogues about, well, you never did such and such, and so if, when it comes up, I will remind her, yes, I know it's there. Or I will say, hey, I have not forgotten. I am thinking about it and planning it out and working on it. With God, when he asks you one time, you ought to say yes. When he invites you to come forward, you ought to say yes. When he asks you to lean in and volunteer, you ought to say yes. When he asks you for your possessions, you ought to say yes. And it's not about all of this stuff belonging to everyone in this room, it's about every single thing belonging to him. And there's going to be that moment in your life when you're going to look back. I'm always haunted. Point number four, by the way, and and I know I didn't give it to you. I said it, but I didn't give it to you. The key, and this factor, is need is not want. When we... When we understand what we need, we understand something very different. I'll know that in my life that I have been haunted by conversations. I've heard of people and it breaks my heart to hear people say, well, I felt like God had laid a call on my life when I was young. And I ran from God and I didn't surrender to him. And I, I, I look at the course of the, the measure of their life sometime later and I say, say to myself in my heart, this breaks my heart because I see a person who has run from God instead of just saying yes and giving him their life. They have lived miserably. I was haunted as I sat in a, in a church when my pastor stood up and he says, for far too long, the many of the men in my church have come to me and says, I wish I hadn't waited so late in life to serve God. And what is God asking of you to give? Your possession is his possession. Give to God what you have. Let it belong to him. Serve him with everything. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment, and maybe the answer ought to be, I've just come to say yes. I've just come to give you what already belongs to you so that I might let go of it and hold on to you Because I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, if when when the end comes, if you're holding on to your possessions and you look to yourself and you say to yourself, why don't I feel like that when this end comes that I'm going to go to heaven? And you'll look down in your hands and say, because I have held on to the wrong thing. I need to hold on to Jesus. Because he's the only one taking anyone to heaven. And he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one gets there without him. Through him. Hold on to him. So today, in just a minute, when I ask you to stand, you're going to bow your heads, and when you do, I'm going to ask you to take just a quick look at your hands and ask yourself, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Because if it's not Jesus, then the answer needs to be, Jesus, tell me how I can let go of these things and hold on to you. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, we thank you that the passage of Scripture reminds us that these things all belong to you, including me and my life, my time and my energy. I pray, Lord, that we would each and every one look down at our hands and ask ourselves the question, what are we holding on to? That you might pry free from our hands the things that will keep us from holding on to you that we might secure the eternity in front of us by clinging to you. May I hold on to nothing else. May I let you have control of everything else. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.